Hello, my name is Andrew Gomison, and I want to welcome you to this edition of the Speaking for Him podcast. Whether you are a first-time listener or you've been listening for a long time, my hope is that you'll find something to encourage you on this journey that we call the Christian life. We know that it's not a sprint, but rather a marathon, and we need each other. That's why we are called the Body of Christ. I'm really excited about the story that I have to share with you today on the podcast. My good friend Kevin Troop stopped by and sat down with me to discuss what it has been like to raise his family of five children along with his lovely wife. And included in that five is two young men with very profound disabilities. So I think you'll find this discussion real and encouraging. And I hope that if you do, you will share it with others among your family and friends, because that is how speaking for him is able to reach even more people with the love and encouragement that comes through Jesus Christ. And we'll get into this two-part conversation in just a few moments. But first, let's talk about what is going on. Well, this past week, our governor, Gretchen Whitmer, gave her State of the State address. And I would just like to share with you three clips from that address and give you some thoughts on each one. So here is the first clip. And third, pre-K for all, to save families an average of $10,000 a year. I know we might have different perspectives here, but I sure hope we can all get around supporting four-year-olds across Michigan. I think this first clip points out a fundamental problem that we have in our country. And that is that whenever there is a problem to be solved, we look to the government. Notice how, as she begins this clip, she says that she wants pre-K for all to save families $10,000 a year. Why does she say that? Because public school is funded by the government and is free to the community as opposed to daycare, which parents have to pay for. But the reality is, folks, that whether you choose public, private, or homeschool, that you as parents have the primary responsibility to teach and care for your children. Now, I understand that people are in various walks of life and have various needs, and I'm not here to shame you, but I do believe that God has a blueprint for how we are to live our lives and how we are to raise the next generation. And that blueprint says in Proverbs 22, verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is not a message to schools. That is not even a message to churches. That is a message to parents. I really believe that we need to get back to the blueprint of Scripture. That is why speaking for him exists, is to think about life from the context of Scripture. 
when I wrote my book, Men of Valor, I tried to take a lot of issues that families face and tie them all together in a big picture way. Because a lot of times we feel like, or at least we act like, we live in a bubble. That every decision that we make is an independent one, and it doesn't affect other decisions that we make. But the reality is, every decision that we make affects others around us. And so, if I could encourage you in one thing, it's that whatever you choose for the education of your children, make sure that you are taking charge, that you realize that it is your primary responsibility. This concerns me because I feel like it's placing more and more of the onus of childcare on the government. And in reality, there are many in the government that would like nothing more than to have more and more control over your children. There's already times when they out and out say that is that it is their responsibility to care for children and not parents. There are already so many times when schools try to do things beyond, behind parents' backs and go above them and take a greater sense of responsibility. Even if you start your child out at six years old, you are still giving them at six years old and beyond to somebody else for 30 to 35 hours a week to influence and educate them, and you are getting two or three hours a night at the end of the day. Just something to consider moving forward. This next clip talks about women's rights. Now, the other half of attracting and retaining young people is standing up for their freedoms. Just a few months ago, Michiganders told us that people should be able to make their own decisions about their own bodies. Let's get to work. Let's repeal our extreme 1931 law ban abortion, banning abortion. And I want to thank, I want to thank the Progressive Women's Caucus for their leadership on this issue and Representatives Pohutsky and Senator Geis for introducing legislation to get it done. while we're at it, let's repeal other dangerous laws prohibiting people from accessing reproductive health care or shaming them for seeking in the first place. Okay, let me be clear. This is so hypocritical on the part of Gretchen Whitmer. Her whole thrust in promoting Proposal 3 is that Proposal 3 would supersede the 1931 ban so that Abortion could be legal in Michigan after the fall of Roe versus Wade. Now Proposal 3 passes, and she still wants to repeal that ban. So she is, in effect, admitting that that proposal is bad law. 
I don't understand this. I thought that proposal three was, was supposed to answer all these questions. The next thing I want to mention is the fact that abortion is called reproductive health. I know that it's a talking point. I know that it's been said over and over again, but to hear it from her mouth just made me upset. Listen, folks, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we are made in the image of God. The Bible says that I was knit together in my mother's womb, that I was fashioned by my creator in my mother's womb. So therefore, as a believer, I cannot believe that abortion is right. And beyond that, why do we call abortion reproductive health when the reality is you would not need an abortion unless you had already reproduced? The pro-abortion side says, you can't make me reproduce, but abortions would not be necessary unless reproduction had already taken place. This next clip heightens the hypocrisy because you'll notice that she goes from talking about reproductive health to supposedly caring about the youngest Michiganders among us. I've also heard from folks like a woman named Lauren. Lauren grew up in Traverse City. She wants to move home. She wants to come back to Michigan and start a family. But she waited until she knew her reproductive rights would be protected. Lauren, I want you and anyone who lives in a state that wants to control your body or deny your existence to know that Michigan has a place for you. So together, we're going to change Michigan from a state with century-old bans to forward-looking protections. Our message is simple. We will fight for your freedom. And you know what? Let's go on offense. I'll go to any state that restricts people's freedoms and win business and hardworking people from them. I'm looking at you, Ohio and Indiana. All right, I figured Ohio shade would get everyone up. (laughs) Every parent, Republican, Democrat, Independent, we want our kids to stay in Michigan. Let's give them reasons to stay beyond the promise of a home-cooked meal or free laundry facilities. Yes, I'm talking from the first person here. Let's expand economic opportunity and protect fundamental freedoms. And now that we've talked about folks who are working to make ends meet and young people who are choosing where to build their lives, I want to talk about the littlest Michiganders. A baby born down the street at Sparrow today could live past the year 2100. Little Violet, who was born yesterday. What will they see in that time? More Stanley Cup wins for the Wings? A Super Bowl for the Lions? (laughs) All right. 
I mean. All right, come on, I know, come on. A World Series for the Tigers. Hey, we can dream. The one thing I do know about 2100, Tom Izzo is still going to be coaching at MSU. <laughs> the truth is, we have no idea what kids born today will live through. Heck, when I was here three years ago, we had no idea what we were about to live through. But what we do know is that we can act now to set them up for success. A lot's going to change by the year 2100. But what children need to succeed will not. Today I'm proposing bold investments in public safety and education to make sure that a child born today lives in a safe neighborhood and can get a great public education. Over the last four years, we made record investments in our children and schools by leading with our shared values. Do you notice the hypocrisy of this last clip? She starts out talking about this woman named Lauren who wants to supposedly come home to Michigan to raise a family, but she won't come home to Michigan to raise a family unless she knows that she can legally kill her children. I don't understand how this jives. It's not reproductive health to kill a baby and it's not family planning to be able to kill a baby. If you want a family, have children. I do not understand how this works, folks. And then, is it not lost on anyone that she goes from talking about providing Lauren with reproductive choice to wanting to provide a future for the littlest Michiganders. But what she's not telling you is that the littlest Michiganders are in trouble. They are in danger. Their mother's wombs are the most dangerous place for them to be here in the state of Michigan. We're probably the fourth most pro-abortion state nowadays. Behind states like New York... In California. So what does this mean for us? It means that we need to show the love of God to everyone we come in contact with. It means that we need to remind them that they all started out as young babies who were given the chance at life. It means that we need to remember that our fundamental rights include the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that without life, you can have no rights. I'm not without hope today because my hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me and who still hears and answers prayer. But we as a state have much to lament and be sad about as well. I hope that this is a wake-up call to us, that we cannot just sit on the sidelines and let things happen around us, but we must be bold in proclamation of the truth. 
Our very children's future depends on it. Well, it is my privilege at this time to share with you the first part of my interview with Kevin Troop. Kevin is a dear friend of mine now. We were in A Christmas Carol together. Kevin was Mr. Fezziwig. I was the ghost of Christmas present. And we really clicked partially uh, because Kevin's just a nice guy, but also because Kevin has experience with people with disabilities because he has two special sons that God sent him to take care of. And I think you're really going to enjoy what Kevin has to share as we sit down and talk together. This is the first part of that interview. The second part will be posted next week. In this first part, Kevin talks about um, how God has shown him that his children were sent to him with a purpose and a plan and that they were not mistakes. And we also talk about his blog and his book and how that has allowed him to bring hope to others. Kevin, welcome to the show. Andrew, it is so good to be with you and good to see you again and uh, good to talk to you again. Well, I like to start off each of my shows with a quote of the day that I think goes with the conversation or the topic that is at hand. And I, as I was thinking about that, I thought of uh, this verse uh, in pertains to you and your story, and it says in James 1, 2-4, My brother encountered all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And I've definitely seen this play out in my life, that um, God has used trials and suffering to build me up, another passage that comes to mind is when Paul says um, that through his sufferings, he is made strong um, because of what Jesus has done in his life. And so he glories in infirmities. He doesn't just try to ignore them or wish them away. And I think that's so important as we approach this discussion because I don't know about you, but I've faced my share of people in my life who have said, well, if you just had enough faith, you'd be healed. And I don't know if you've heard that about your boys, but I've definitely dealt with it on a repeated basis myself. So I wonder if you have any thoughts on that. Absolutely. Uh, I I think the one thing that we, um, and people who don't understand, you know, especially our boys uh, share a genetic uh, disorder and, uh, I think the overall tone is that um, they were a mistake, you know, that that was a uh, something that happened in nature and it, they, they were a mistake. And I, I can guarantee you that by God's perfect design, they were not a mistake. And I think even though our journey has been, I mean, it's certainly had its triumphs and joys, but it's also had 
many um, hardships <laughs> and struggles. But um, I know that, you know, people always say, you know, God is, you know, he, he must have made you very special to be able to do what you do. And it's like, no, I, I think he, he made us, he gave us Isaac and Matthew, our two boys. Uh, he gave them to us uh, to make us stronger. And I think I, I truly believe that, that uh, absolutely not a mistake. That is great to hear, and I definitely was raised with that mindset in regards to my own disability that God had a plan, and my parents always told me that God had special things in mind for me, and I I truly believe that I'm doing this podcast now because of the faith that my parents had in God for what He was going to do in my life, and I'm thankful to have surrendered to that plan so we've already talked a little bit about your boys, but can you just tell us a little bit about your whole family? Sure, certainly. Um, married to uh, Teresa, my wife, uh, of 32 years this year. That makes me sound old, but doesn't seem like it's been 32 years. But uh, we have five children. We have two adults, uh, daughters who are married, uh Great husbands, uh, another couple son-in-laws that we've uh, now brought into our family. We also have a grandchild <laughs> with one of them. Uh, our third oldest is Matthew. He is uh, 21. Uh, Sarah Ann is 13. And our youngest, uh, Isaac, is 10. Uh, our two boys, Matthew and Isaac, um, happen to share a genetic disorder. <laughs> it's uh, called CHARGE syndrome and that is an acronym so if you think of charge you know dun, 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 dun. uh it's an acronym uh each letter standing for something an anomaly <laughs> within it uh it's very rare uh even rare that we have two uh in the same family uh without one of us one of the parents being affected so uh as i went as i mentioned earlier it wasn't a mistake god had a a particular plan in mind and I believe also a sense of humor <laughs> that he's given us two boys with the same. <laughs> well, he definitely has a sense of humor. You know, I was really an anomaly in the world of the disabled myself because growing up and getting to know other disabled people, it seemed like there was either one of two things happened. Either they were the oldest of two, maybe, uh-huh. Or they were the youngest of one or two, maybe three. Because a lot of times after people have children with disabilities, they kind of get gun shy or wary of having more children. So I'm kind of unique in the fact that I'm the oldest of 12 children. Um, yeah. And that my disability never really dissuaded my parents from having other children. And I'm grateful because every single one of my siblings has been a help to me as I navigate this world and as I push to do things above and beyond people's expectations so that God can get the glory. Yeah, I can actually resonate with that. Um, when I say we have two adult daughters, our, our oldest daughter is 28. And if you do the math there, uh, our oldest 28 and our youngest 10, we have some gaps in there too. And I think, uh, 
you know, after we had our two girls and then Matthew came along, who is 21 now, uh, it took us a while. <laughs> it took us a while to regroup. And I think we realized that we're not done with this yet. We're not done with having um, kids. And I think it, uh, once we got our feet back under us again, so there's quite a gap between uh, Matthew, who's 21, and Sarah, who is uh, 13. So, um, yeah, I can resonate with that. Well, one of the things we talk about a lot on this podcast is people's personal journey with Jesus, um, because the speaking for him uh, is in reverence to speaking for Jesus and all that he has done in my life, as well as those who I have the privilege of sharing their stories. So can you kind of walk me through at what point in your life your relationship with Jesus became personal to you? Yeah, it was actually um, when I was in junior high. Uh, I was uh, in a religious education course uh, class, and the uh, uh, the people that were teaching that class uh, just freely shared this thing called a personal relationship with Jesus, and I wasn't that uh, wasn't familiar to me. Uh, growing up Catholic and going through catechism and all of that. When it came time to hear that word, personal relationship, uh, it intrigued me. And it took a few years. It took until I was in high school um, to really embrace uh, what that meant, what a personal relationship was. Because I think, uh, like many people, I went through the motions. Uh, I went through the uh, the steps and kind of went through the motions, but uh, there was a point that um, what was an outward faith became an inward faith. And uh, I don't even, I don't think I could even think of a specific time that I uh, prayed a prayer or accepted Jesus into my heart. But I do know that it happened in high school. And uh, when I was a junior, senior, it was started to really um, take my faith as my own. And uh realize that, okay, this personal relationship thing, uh, is real. And, uh, so it was a, a series of, I would say like retreats that I went on, um, other experiences that, uh, that led me in that direction. Well, one of the reasons that we are here today is because through the course of doing a Christmas Carol at Master Arts Theater with you. And for those who do not know, Master Arts Theater is a local community-based Christian theater. I would recommend that you go to their open auditions if you have any interest in theater because you meet great people, you get to perform great shows, and it's just a wonderful experience. But through the course of that production, we got to know each other pretty well. Um, you became my official dresser. Um, because you actually had experience with dressing someone who was disabled. And uh, I really feel like that was a God thing because that was one of the things I was most nervous about going into the show because I was doing it by myself where I usually do it with a family member and I'm not usually on stage, but this time I was. And so I was really grateful for that help. But through the course of that period, you shared a lot of stories with us while we were sitting in the green room, either waiting for the show or during the show, about your adventures with your family, and particularly with your two special boys. So can you tell me, first of all, 
what led you to start your blog? Well, I, uh, I've been writing my blog for, yeah, I look back, I had to look and see when my first post was and it was 13 years ago. Um, I, I guess the reason why I wanted to start the blog, uh, was to, uh, there was a lot of people praying for us, you know, when Matthew was younger and, you know, there was just a lot of things happening that, um, funny things, <laughs> things that Matt would do. And, uh, so I started putting together, writing some thoughts down and I, I, I guess it just came to me one time. I was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to start writing this and see what happens. And, uh, so my first official blog post was in April, 2010. Um, and, uh, I, I got some immediate results. People really liked what I was writing. Um, and so there were some, I, I've been writing about joys and sorrows and, you know, just as, uh, life happens. And I usually tie it around and turn it into, um, a lesson, you know, in fact, the original blog, now it's called strength to care, strength to care. I'll say that right. Uh, before it was lessons from Matthew and I kind of changed the name as it went along. So it does have a subtitle. It's, uh, strength to care lessons from Matthew and Isaac. And so I just started writing, uh, these lessons down and, uh, that's what, that will be, that's what became the blog. And then of course, from the blog, you decided to compile it into a book. What was that process like? The book kind of came about as I think I had been blogging at that point for about five years. So uh, um, I was doing like weekly, bi-weekly blogs. So I had quite a few of them. And so uh, I kind of started looking at people said, you know, you always hear this and I'm sure you've heard it. You ought to write a book. You ought to write a book. And so I kind of set the task one year and uh, it was kind of monumental to say, okay, I'm going to write right uh, blog and this is or i'm gonna uh, put this book together and you know this is coming from someone who uh failed miserably in english in school <laughs> i am i cannot break down a sentence to save my life you know what's an adjective verb you know but um it was interesting because as i started putting this uh book together and what it, what the book is is a it's a collection of uh of blog posts um I edited them for length and some time, some of it in content, you know, to make it so it was more of a chapter instead of just a, a you know, a short blog. Uh, but each one kind of expanded on a point. Um, the blog posts were the ones that I chose. They were kind of random. Uh, there's, it wasn't really timeline or anything, but, uh, most of them dealt with either, um, a triumph, um, a lesson learned. Uh, something that made us laugh because <laughs> uh, we can't get through this without laughing at ourselves or <laughs> at what the uh, circumstances are. Um, sometimes it was what <laughs> maybe something that led us to cry um, uh, or sometimes just plain life's really hard right now. Um, each chapter, uh, as I was writing, uh, I included a prayer at the end just to, uh, kind of sum everything up and interesting that the feedback that I get that most people really enjoy the prayer at the end. Um, so that's kind of how the book came about. Um, I, it's, you know, people say, Oh, did you write this for, you know, to make money or to, you know, it, obviously if you, uh, 
if you ever written a book, you would know that it's not really to make money. Very few people make money on a book. Um, it really wasn't for recognition either. I think for me, my wife and I have over the years have always, um, had opportunities to share our journey, you know, whether it was with a prayer group or, you know, a Bible study group or somebody having us come in and talk about, you know, our journey. Uh, we have always had opportunities and I call them divine appointments. You know, God has always arranged, whether it was in a waiting room, a recovery room, um, or even our own home. Uh, we have, you know, multiple caregivers, suppliers, nurses, therapists, you know, God always, and I stress always has created these divine appointments, um, as we have been willing to share, you know, our core strength, you know, where does our strength come from? You know, you get the question, how do you do it? And so we share that, uh, this book, it, it was written, I wrote it, um, to be given away freely. Uh, think of it as an expanded business card, if you will. You know, it's an opportunity to say, here's what God can do for you. Absolutely. And we are told to stand up in the congregation and give testimony to the faithfulness of God. And so I think that's a really good thing that you took the opportunity to do that by writing this book. I'm actually in the process of trying to write my autobiography. Um, my father has kind of requested that I do that. He says, you have a important story to share. It's kind of intimidating to me because I feel like when I'm living my life, it's just a normal life, but it's only when I kind of sit back and take a few steps back and look back at things that I say, Hey, that actually was pretty neat. That actually was pretty amazing. And maybe that could be encouraging to others. So I'm, I'm slowly slogging through. Um, I don't have the linear thing down either. So I don't know if the final draft will be linear, but right now it's not linear. So we'll see how it turns out. I remember in the writing process, um, I had, uh, a, um, a copy editor and a content editor and the content editor was like, you, you don't really need anything from me. The copy editor <laughs> was like, you know what? I've done a lot of editing. And uh, she mentioned to me that, uh, you know, sometimes somebody can write something and it's everything's right. It's perfect. The syntax is there, but there's no story. There's no heart. And he said, uh, you know, she said, I can take what's in your heart and I can make it sound good. <laughs> so there you go. You need to find yourself a good uh, copy, uh, copy editor <laughs> to help you put that together. Well, I definitely like to have um, multiple eyes on my projects because it can be easy even after you read something six million times give or take yep. a couple times that you still have typos and you still forget things. So the good thing is for a while I was using Dragon naturally speaking and I could have that read back to me. Mm -hmm. Um and so that helped. Um my new computer has a dictation software built in that doesn't have the the reading back to you function. So I definitely will have to get some more eyes on my writing. Um but before we move on to some other questions, are there a couple stories 
um, that come to mind, maybe one or two stories that come to mind of how uh, Matthew and Isaac have taught you God's faithfulness? Well, I think, um, and maybe it's not just, a, maybe it's not a blog post, but um, I think one of the biggest lessons we've learned uh, along the way, and uh, I actually took a, an excerpt from, it wasn't even from the book. It wasn't from our, uh, it wasn't from a blog post. It was actually my introduction. And, uh, I copied and pasted it here so I could read it. And, uh, it really kind of sums up, you know, what the book is about. And, and this kind of answers uh, the question you just asked is that uh, I'll read it here. It says, this book is not about charge syndrome or about any other diagnosis or label. It is a look into our lives of living with two boys who happen to have some special needs. There are countless books, journals, papers, and studies about what our boys have. This book is more what we can learn from who our boys are. They were not a genetic mistake. They were created exactly as God intended them to be. And I think that's what I would share um, with your listeners is that you know, we can look at the hows and whys and all of that, but I think really the biggest lessons we have learned along the way is uh, who our boys are. You know, they have personalities, they have their own identities, and it's not just the labels that have been slapped on them or the diagnosis that have been slapped on them or they do this because of this. Um, they're their own people, and... It has taken us, um, you know, many years. It's been a journey uh, to learn that uh, they have likes, they have dislikes, and just like anybody else. And um, to answer your question about a blog, you know, what a story, a particular one, I really think that the one that um, that sticks out, um, boy, there's so many of them. <laughs> It's really hard. I guess one that's coming to mind right now is uh, we, um, Matthew has, uh, our oldest son, really loves pajamas. He loves pajamas of all sorts. So he, his favorite thing is to go to the thrift store with us, and we let him pick out um, a pair of pajamas. So his favorite pairs are the footed pajamas, you know, like the little onesies that zip up. And... You know, Matthew's 21, and, I mean, he's not big by any means. He probably is about the size of a 10-year-old. But I can tell you there's not many boy pajamas out there for 10- to 12-year-old boys. <laughs> so he typically ends up buying unicorns or cupcakes or <laughs> some very colorful pajamas. He doesn't care. Um, so anyway, we bring these home. There's always a protocol. Uh all new clothes, you know, that come from the thrift store or even new have to go into the washing machine. So we, um, everything goes in the washing machine and then Matthew always finds the end result in the dryer. And so I did a blog post one time that talked about our magical dryer. So Matthew got into a habit of every morning he'd go check the magical dryer to see if there was something new in there. <laughs> Because my wife, she's a thrifter. She likes to go to thrift stores and she'll pick stuff up. And, you know, every Matthew would always wonder every single day, is there something new in our magical dryer? <laughs> and uh, I turned that blog post into, it's like, 
every night God washes us clean. And in a way, God is a magical dryer. You know, every morning there's something new. Our souls are new. They're clean. And, uh, and that's, those are kind of like the stories that I like to share is that, you know, make a funny thing, something that's happened and, and turn it into, um, a lesson. And, uh, he does. He washes our, washes us clean every time. And God is a, is a magical dryer. You know, there's always something new in there that he's doing in our lives. Isn't that so true? I, I think as you were talking, I was thinking about the fact that every time you see Jesus healing in the scriptures, he takes delight in healing people, but there's also a spiritual lesson tied to it. And so I definitely think that you drawing these spiritual lessons out of the times that you've spent with your boys is a really neat thing. And it's really great that God has given you that discernment because in my experience, I, I, I think I told you that I myself had to come to the place of acceptance of my limitations to where I was said, well, I have a choice. Either I can allow the things that I'm dealing with to make me better or bitter. And that's going to define the rest of my life. And for nine years after I met Jesus, I chose bitter. And then I finally got to the place where Jesus was like, why don't you try better and see what happens? And I did, and he has been faithful. I still have my bad days, of course, but he is always faithful. Amen. Amen. So there you have it, the first half of my conversation with Kevin Troop. I was really encouraged by this conversation, and I hope that you were too. Please plan to join us next week for the balance of the conversation. Uh, where we'll get a health update on the boys and talk about how COVID affected them and how it affected all of us, really, in that unprecedented time in our country. But until next week, I hope you have a wonderful week and that you keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.